All right. Welcome to another episode of Sales is Not a Dirty Word. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. As always, I am your show host, Alicia Barr, your revolutionary sales coach for solopreneurs and creator of this inspiring podcast. You can check me out at aliciabarr.com. This podcast is all about alternative sales strategies, whether that's workshopping with people like you or meeting with other experts to bring you real help you can implement now. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about sales avoidance, the stigma behind sales and how to overcome it and sell more with Annie P. Ruggles, who I'm so excited to talk to because we have a lot in common and we are unicorns in this space. So for over a decade, Annie P. has harnessed her Hulk-like disdain for hard sales, tacky self-promotion, and overly competitive sleazeballs as inspiration to help people find better ways to grow their small business. She's the founder of the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and has guided hundreds of people toward making deeper connections, lasting impressions, and friendlier, more lucrative transactions and conversations. Her pride and joy is her podcast, Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. Annie, welcome to the big show. Sales is not a dirty word. Well, first off, can I just commend you for having the best podcast title of all time? (laughs) When I found out I was going to be on this show, I was like, I'm sorry, the name of the show (laughs) is sales is not a dirty word. And I didn't come up with this. So, (laughs) and also the unicorn in me, honors the unicorn in you it is always so beautiful to find some like-minded soul in the selling space it's it's so refreshing especially and it makes it seem more realistic this goal that we have of changing the sales experience which is so unpleasant for people who are selling and the people who are buying That's a really good point, because I think one of the things that is a misconception or not actually a misconception, it's the way that kind of is is bred into traditional selling is this intense uh, peer hatred and competition. And yet when you meet somebody heart centered and client focused in the sales space, we all just get so excited. Like there's no competition at all. You have the best sounding podcast on earth and I am thrilled to be here like I'm not even a little bit mad right and so it's it's so funny that that when we meet each other we really are proving in the moment that selling can be wonderful and that competition can be something you consider but something you don't have to dwell on Yeah. I've never been one of those hardcore, um, competitive people. If anything, like I compete with myself more so. Yes, Um, me too. Yeah. So I love like when we're all winning together, I think that's the most fun rather than me just like, wow, leaving you losers in the dust. Like that sucks. I'm like, what's going on? I firmly believe there's room for all of us at the top. If there's a room for 9,000 sleazy sellers at the top, there's certainly room for a handful of us. I hope that, you know, that we just multiply. And yes. I I want to understand, like, where did you start your sales career and what has led you into this? I love that we're talking about sales avoidance today because I was the most sales avoidant person on the earth. 
right? If if I would have found you a couple of years ago, I would probably still be doing marketing and branding, which I loved. And I firmly believe that every dollar you spend on marketing is worth it if you're going to go ahead and back that up with strong selling practices. However, I was a marketing guru. And so what did I do? I over marketed everything and I never asked because I had a very, very skewed idea, not only of what selling required, but who I would become as a salesperson, right? And so I did all this marketing and I did all this branding and I loved it. And I did that for freaking years. Years and I got to work with the most beautiful people building the most beautiful dreams and none of us were making any money and I couldn't figure out why and then I stopped and went wait I need to ask my clients how often they're actually asking for money and it turned out that that was the answer to the problem and then I thought well wait a minute why are none of my clients asking for money what's the common denominator here hi the common denominator was me. They were all modeling me and my sales avoidant was keeping me from asking. So I wasn't asking. So I wasn't teaching them how to take their marketing and transition it into asking. And so all of our dreams were dying on the vine. And so I still then did not expect to want to teach sales, but I thought there's gotta be good information out there. Let's go find it. So I went on this crash course, exploratory stuff of sales. I found a whole bunch of stuff I didn't like. I thought, how can this be modified? I found a whole bunch of stuff that I did like. And I thought, how can this be expanded? And I started running my clients through it as like a pro bono quirk. And honestly, because I felt guilty that they weren't selling because I didn't tell them to. So I was like, hey, listen, let me make it up to you. Let me teach you a couple things. And my business and their business all skyrocket sort of simultaneously. And I thought, well, dang, there's a lot of people in the marketing space. There's a lot of people in the branding space, but there aren't a whole lot of Annie's and Alicia's out here who are going to tell you that, you know, know your worth and ask for your worth are not the same mindset issue. And if you don't know how to ask, you will not get. And so that's how I wound up here. That's, I love the ending to that story. Everybody made a lot of money. So this is something that I think um, has a lot to do with the sales avoidance is like the asking for money. They feel like Mm -hmm. it's like mean or like gross or um, whatever to ask for money but like, it doesn't make you a good person to do it for free or to do it for discount. It makes you a dead person. Well, it, it definitely compromises the quality of your own life for sure. But then also like the other person doesn't value it the same. I think Mm -hmm. every single person has probably had an experience where they sold something for too little to a client or for free. And the client didn't do anything with it. And how frustrating is that? Yeah, we attract, and here's the thing. We're not necessarily just talking about low ticket. I freaking love to, like, I love low ticket. I love it. I love having a ladder of services. I'm not dogging that stuff. But if you're undervaluing your products and your services, you are saying not only do you have to spend very little money on this thing, we're implying you also have to spend very little effort on this thing. Now, the disconnect on that is 
when they're expecting big gains, but to make small effort, someone's got to pick up the gap in that effort in order to get them there. So what happens is we, the provider, who are supposed to be providing the system and modeling the beacon and being the, you know, the sounding board and the mentor, what happens is we wind up doing all the work for the client. Maybe they implement it. Maybe they don't. We're exhausted. The client's blissfully happy for about two days until they need something else. And we go, why isn't this working? This isn't working because we're promising bigger results than their low energy can deliver for them. And and I just recently was at She Podcast Live, which is a conference, and, and this year it was in Arizona. And Cameron Esposito was the opening keynote, and they said the most amazing thing. And I think about this all the time. If you have to drag someone through step one, you'll still be dragging them step 30. And I have never found a better way to get clients I have to drag than not expressing my true value of my work to the client. So I wind up picking all the pieces. Does that make sense? Yeah, I actually think it's very well articulated. They're like, they are expecting a big result for low effort. Um, Mm -hmm. And someone's going to have to pick up that gap in between. And there is a cost to that gap. And so it's just interesting because like, you're not doing anyone favors by not selling, not yourself and not the other persons. So I think it's like this misaligned idea that they're like a good person. So they're not a salesperson. You know what I mean? I call that the martyrdom of over-marketing, right? It feels good. But at the end of the day, giving out nothing but free content and asking for nothing in return is not an even exchange of energy. Whether you want to take that in a woo-woo way or a non-woo-woo way, if we were on the barter system and I said, I'll give you, you know, this cow for two goats and I gave you my cow and you didn't give me the goats, that transaction's not complete. And I can't pay my mortgage on your thank you note as much as I appreciate it right? I can't. If I'm giving and giving and giving, I have to be willing to receive. And that is really hard for a lot of people because that selfless, and I'm air quoting wildly, that selfless behavior feels really good until it almost kills your business or until you drive (laughs) yourself so deeply into burnout that you hate your freaking clients, the very people you've been bending over backwards to help. And this happens all the time. People will go, Oh my God. Oh my God. I got this amazing client. I'm so excited to work with them. Um, A week later, they're cringing that that person's showing up on their zoom. What happened? The seller did not communicate boundaries. The seller did not communicate expectations. The seller overgave of themselves or undersold themselves. Who does that hurt? The client and you and that's if they even buy from you at all more often when we don't ask we give everything away right we're like hurling out value like it's freaking oprah giving out cars and we never ask them for anything and so then one of our nasty competitors comes along one of the people that actually feel like competition and they go oh here's a buy button you should click it and then they do and you go what you're my client no They were your free voyeur. You never asked them to pay you. So they were never really a prospect. So you can't really be mad that they're not a client, right? Yeah, it's so true. Um, 
man, you like reminded me of something right there that I really wanted to say something about. Now I can't remember it. But because oh, I over talk all the time. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a really great point. Like it's, this is something that I'm, I'm so glad more people are talking about. And I know that we need to talk about like, so what's, you know, the solution for this issue mm-hmm. basically. So, um, I mean, how does someone learn to love sales? I think it helps because there's both the strategy and a mindset component to this. But I think for me and the way that I go about this is in order for us to learn to love sales, we have to redefine what selling actually is and what it requires of us. And one way that I have found very helpful is to just sort of look internally, track back your relationship with selling. For a lot of us, it started in childhood or our very first like big girl job where we had to go sell widgets for somebody else. And also look at all the ways that we have been sold to that is normally how most of us define selling so if we can see where that sales baggage or sales trauma or um you know sales wounds whatever you want to call it if we can figure out where that originated then we can start to pick apart the truth of it and the misconception of it and the truth the way that we get around that then is we go okay well these things are really gross so i'm not going to do them i'm going to find alternatives but when we find out the misconceptions we can go oh i never realized how easy it was just to ask for the sale right so that's the very first thing before we get into strategy before we get into like how to really show up and you know get in there and deal with rejection and all this other stuff the first step to learning love sales is a it's totally a wonderful thing to love it doesn't make you a bad person being successful doesn't make you horrible earning money doesn't make you horrible receiving doesn't make you horrible but it really helps if we know where that idea began that's true i I always say that like people are usually going 180 from like what they think is a pushy sales. They're so scared of coming off as a pushy salesperson that they're completely underselling themselves. But once you start to, to have a good time with sales and realize that you're, I mean, I know selling is serving is like a cliche or whatever. Um, but like to realize that you're saving a client because you really care about delivering on that service and you're going to take good care of them and you're saving them from someone who's good at selling, but is going to do a bad job delivering. Yes. It's exciting and fun to like yes. save them from that. And you get to make money at the same time. That's that awesome. superhero cape on every dollar you make takes a dollar out of some jerk's pocket. Yeah. (laughs) Good for you. Command that, babe. If you're showing up with ethics and integrity and love for your client every day, that money, if the law, if, you know, if the world were totally all just sunshine and rainbows, he who cares most would get most. So you may as well try to advocate to get what should be rightfully yours. So every dollar you make takes a dollar out of a jerk's pocket. It's and like, a public yes. service. It's like a yes. form of like volunteering, making it's the world also, a better place. <laughs> it also protects your clients. I mean, one of the things is one of those main areas of sales baggage, and you you touched on this, was the horrible way that we've all been treated by other salespeople in the past. And so 
a lot of people come to us regardless of our industry having been burned by our industry itself or somebody within it and if we can say you know what my industry is kind of gross it's also kind of wonderful i'm going to lean into the wonderful and leave out the gross so that you can get the benefit the client goes oh and they always give you a horror story immediately. I don't care what industry it is. I don't care if you're a yoga teacher, a baker, they will tell you their worst customer service experience. They're yeah. giving you research and development. They're giving you a playbook of exactly what not to do. How yeah. lovely. They're just telling us the plays that upset them. What do we do? We figure out what the strategy underneath that play was. We remove the nastiness, the lies, the deceit, the arm twisting from that situation. We break it down with transparency, honesty, a little bit of vulnerability and client focus. We keep our eye on the value that we're trying to provide and the problem we're trying to solve. And they have a whole new fresh experience that doesn't even feel like being sold to, not that being sold to is a bad thing. Well, people, there's that saying they don't like feeling sold, but they love to buy. And it's so true. People just want to feel yes. like they got, because I think what happens is when you feel sold, you feel like you might've been lied to, or yeah. like at the very least, like lies of omission. Like I don't have all the details, but when you feel like you're buying, it's because you feel like you got all the information you needed and you made the right decision for you. And that feels good because you're about to yeah. solve this problem that you yes. And that's another, I love that you said that because that's another answer to your question. How can someone fall in love with the process of selling? Think about someone that you love to pay. Whether it's the chef at your favorite restaurant, whether it's the, you know, daycare center that taught your kid to read a year early and they just run into every day with open arms so excited. Or if it's, you know, the concert that you paid a bajillion dollars to see before they retired for the 17th time. Think of someone you love to pay. Think of someone that you have described in your life as worth every dime. My question for you then becomes, with your heart and your skill and your dedication to solving that problem, why wouldn't you also be worth every dime to someone else? Odds are you are, you're just not asking for any dimes. Yeah, or you like don't know how to commute. I find I run into people who just don't know how to communicate what they do very well. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Like a lot of times we're too close to it to, um, to know that we're like, is, I, I see people go into the weeds a lot. Like they're saying weird details that aren't necessary on the first conversation and stuff that are overwhelming the other person. And, or they just talk about like how many meetings they'll have as like the thing they're selling. And it's like, it's not about the meetings or you know what I mean? Like, do you ever see that? Oh, all the time. Yeah, all the time. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't take a super genius or someone who's been a small business owner, uh, for a billion years, like we have to open an email that we get, read through it and tell that this person has absolutely no idea who they're selling to. <laughs> right. I mean, oh we've God. all gotten those emails and we're like, huh? What? Well, and, and, you know, it's also like a thing with cliches. We were talking about these like generic one size fits all scripts. I saw the funniest skit video the other day of this guy being like, 
Oh my God, you guys, I just got an email. This, this guy hopes this email finds me well. And they're like, <laughs> what? what? You have to buy everything from him. Like <laughs> spreading it around the office because it's just like the same shit you always hear. That's so pointless. Um, I've got so a Nigerian Prince spam. That was more interesting than most of the sales emails. <laughs> that's actually probably pretty true. They can, they can be pretty like detailed with those. They're pretty um, convincing. So I really like this question um, because I talk about empathy a lot in sales. So is empathy a blessing or a curse in sales? And I like it because a lot of people feel bad for the person they're selling to. And that's why they can't sell to them. Absolutely. So is empathy a blessing or a curse? It's both. So my main program is called Sales for Empaths because of this exact duality. When you go read all your Grant Cardone books and all of the other books, mostly written by dudes. uh Oh, guys, I broke Alicia. Uh, If you go read all of these other books, they are written largely by men for people, largely in corporate environments or now like in startups, very bro-y cultures. And, but what they'll say over and over in all of these books, like book after book, after book, after book is the skill you need to learn is empathy. Empathy will help you connect with your client because you'll understand their emotional journey. You need to learn empathy. And this whole time I'm like, can empathy actually be learned? Side note, if empathy is so amazing in sales, how come all of my clients run from it like a fire? What is going on here? (laughs) And I realized that with people that aren't like us, that don't have that deep wealth of emotional intelligence or that I got to change the world for someone else feeling, that's okay. That's not bad, but that's also just not my people. Yeah, those people can go off and take a seminar on how to learn to care about other people in the form of empathy, sure. But I started asking, okay, is empathy really the key? It absolutely is. Why then do people that identify as highly sensitive or empathic have such an issue with selling? And what I have seen time and time again is twofold. Number one, like you just insinuated, pain points are extremely hard to talk about for empaths because they don't want to feel them and they don't want to cause people hurt right so what they have a tendency to do is get stuck in the positive after part of the story and not talk about the before part but we Mm -hmm. solve problems and that's what we pay for that's what people pay us for try to sell me tylenol and get me to take it without mentioning the words headache or pain you can't do it. Why would I take yeah. all these ingredients that I don't know in this little white pill that looks kind of creepy? Why would I shove this into my body every eight hours with a full glass of water if you don't tell me what I'm doing, right? So the first thing is they're worried about tap dancing on those pain points in a way that yeah. will be detrimental to both of them because empaths feel on behalf of the other. But that's the second issue with empathy. The second issue with empathy is because we feel this deep emotional connection with the person on the opposite end of the transaction, which is a beautiful thing, because we feel that we don't really know where we as sellers stop and they as prospect begin emotionally. So we have a tendency to project 
our discomfort onto the client. Wow, she's having a bad day. I really should. Ooh, I shouldn't push on that. You know, and and she said that she's ready, but like I think I should give her more time. That's you being uncomfortable. That's not the client being uncomfortable. That's yep. not using empathy to deepen a connection with someone. That's using empathy as a crutch not to sell to someone. It's very <laughs> very very different, right? So is it a blessing? Absolutely. Knowing your client and making your client feel seen, safe, and supported is the most valuable thing that we can do as providers on this earth. But on the flip side, we also, empaths, have a tendency to make it about us, even while thinking we're making it about them. Yeah. I mean, beautifully put, I've seen a lot of people, um, you know, they think... I think it is that they're making it about themselves. And then it's also like, they're, they're doing a disservice to the other person by assuming that they, or like by buying sometimes whatever their excuses, depending on what you're selling. A lot of times mm-hmm. people just need someone, anytime that someone buys something, it's scary. A lot of the time yeah. for them. They, have, they have fear. They're like, Oh, should I? Oh my God. I don't know. Ooh. And if you're like, you know what? It is scary. Just don't do it that's not always the best thing for the client. Like a lot of times you need them to say like, look, I know it's scary, but there's these things in place. There's no way that this can't work because of X, Y, Z reasons. Am I right here? Or am I missing some information? Um, And if those, that's the case, then like, we're good to go. Let's do it. Like you need a little, like, you know, loving push. And you just squeezed in one of the most powerful sales questions there is, which is what other information don't I have yet? What don't I know? Right. What are your deciding factors that I haven't asked you? Yeah. When people are scared, it's like, what am I missing? Everything seems to line up here. Like, unless you're, you know, something I don't like, Mm -hmm. can I know that also? Because we don't want to sell things that are a bad fit. So I think it helps people a lot of times too, when they realize that like, I'm not going to sell someone who's a bad fit. I, no. like, sometimes when I work with people, I'm like, wait, does this person get results with you? Yes. Great. What's the issue? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> if you're not going to get them results, then yeah, don't do it. That would feel bad. Yeah. I think part of what I didn't yeah. understand when I got into learning selling is I wasn't even trying to get rejected less because if you don't ask, you can't get rejected. So I was trying to like put myself out there at all, but I don't think that I understood that by learning how to sell, I wouldn't only be fortifying myself against inevitable rejection, I would also be emboldening myself to walk away from the clients that aren't right for me. And so I see all these sales books all the time that are like, here, no less. And I wanna just take a Sharpie and like scratch across it and write, say no more. Like, and not say no more, but like say no more often. It is such an empowering thing to be able to, yeah, it's so empowering. It opens up space for the right people. Like you don't feel like you've compromised yourself. It goes along with the same thing where you were like talking about managing expectations and setting boundaries. Like those things are extremely empowering. And it doesn't have to feel like you're, it doesn't have to feel like a rejection to the prospect you're talking to. If anything, if you explain your logic in a real, normal, truthful, 
non-emotional way and you just say, listen, I don't think we're a fit because of X and Y. And then you say, but listen, I wish the best for you and I have an idea. You should go check out this person, check out this thing, give a little homework, whatever it may be. They feel safe and liberated by your honesty. They will tell, I mean, that way you can get referrals from people that don't even hire you. It doesn't have to feel nasty, but we are under no obligation to take every single client that walks in off the street because otherwise we're letting them down. Taking on the wrong client is a guaranteed way to let them down and let you down. And I see it all the time. Like, um, if your only qualification is that somebody has a working credit card, like you're going to have a lot of failures. And there's a lot of people who are like, sell it at any, any cost, sell them. And it's like, even at their expense. And I don't know, it's just like kind of crazy. Cute. That's a really great way to sell something one time. It is not at all the way to get the lifetime value of a client and turn a client into an advocate or yeah, to turn them into an advocate for referrals. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for those who struggle to charge well for their labors of love? Think about what I said before about the people that are worth every dime. And then once you think about that, I want you to think about what value you're actually providing because it's probably a lot deeper or wider or touches more people than you think, right? So if you're selling, I sell sales training, right? What do I sell? I sell strategy, sure. I sell mindset tricks, sure. But on top of that, I sell confidence, legitimacy, business success, money, stability, all these other things, because those are the byproducts of my work. Where does that stop? That doesn't stop with just the client. If the client has a partner, if the client has kids, if the client lives in a small town community, whatever, it lends back to the ecosystem. If that client goes on and hires something, hey, that's a new job, right? What does that do? Oh, that changes that person's life. It ripples, it ripples, it ripples. And I'm not saying every single thing we have to do, we have to be able to say, we'll cure COVID or, or, you know, cause world peace to just spontaneously occur, but it's probably a lot bigger value than you think. So first things first, think about people you love to pay and why you love to pay them. Then I want you to look at your value and go, wow, I really do provide a lot into this world. And finally then, after you've smooshed those two thoughts together in your head, I want you to remember that each of the Kardashians is paid to exist. And if each of the Kardashian Jenners can be paid exorbitantly just to show up on this planet, (laughs) shouldn't you therefore be compensated for that gigantic list of never ending ripple effect value that you provide? Yeah, it's going to touch so many lives. Think about the people who can, who, who you're going to help, and then they're going to go on and touch lives. And yeah. I love that. And if you don't believe in your product, then we have a whole other issue. Well, and like, yeah. And then it it just kind of like, I know this is a weird comparison, but I recently had these leggings sent to me by Stitch Fix. They are, Mm -hmm. they were a hundred dollars. That's stupid. I was like, no, that's dumb. They were super soft, but I was like, no. But if you buy the whole Stitch Fix box, you like basically get a huge discount. 
So I ended up buying them. And I'm like, damn, this is the best buy I've ever made. Like I live in these things. Like they are so worth a hundred dollars. It's like not even funny. And you just feel like so good about this purchase that you made and how much it like contributes to your life. And I know it's just leggings, but like, think about you. If could that's be just leggings aesthetic. and you're selling transformation <laughs> by all means. I mean, I feel the same way about like expensive cheeses. Like, I'll be like, oh, do I really need this $9 wedge of tiny cheese? Annie, really? And then I'm like, well, I've had a good week, so maybe I should buy the cheese. And then I'm like, but wait, it's $9. Why is this little piece of cheese $9? And then I pop that sucker into my mouth and I'm like, this cheese should be $90. I am being transported <laughs> into space, right? But to our very first point on this entire episode, when you spent $100 on leggings, somewhat under duress you thought in your head well if i'm gonna have paid a hundred dollars ish for these leggings even on a discount i'm gonna wear those things until they fall apart because i spent good money on that you prioritized using them first because you spent good money on them then you experienced it and went why did i ever think these leggings weren't worth it now i can't picture my legs without them what if those leggings what? had been five dollars yeah i wouldn't be wearing the wheels off of them and other people have touched them and been like those are the softest leggings i've ever felt so mm -hmm. i really appreciate that you like ran with me on that thought track and, <laughs> and wrapped it up with me because hey, like something it's about true. it just, yeah it it's it true is. quality shows always yeah. And that not like, that all hundred dollar leggings are worth a hundred dollars. There are lots yeah. of hundred dollar leggings that are not worth it, but quality always shows. And the other thing is price point is highly relative. Let's go back to my friend, Chloe and Kim Kardashian. If I said these leggings are a hundred dollars, they'd be like, ew, too cheap. Not wearing yeah, them. They must be terrible leggings. They must be awful. Meanwhile, yeah. you're like a hundred dollars for leggings. The world is spinning out of control. We are all going <laughs> to hell. What is this? Right. <laughs> but if we went into, if we were the people selling the leggings, and we decided that our marketing and our sales techniques should sell either in the way that we feel about $100 leggings, then we're either going to go to a whole big bunch of people that think like you and treat them like they should think like Kim K, or we're going to go to a whole bunch of extra effort mm -hmm. to try to explain why the leggings are worth $100 and are sending them off to Kim Kardashian, who's like, oh. Ew, look at these peasant leggings. Look at these peasant leggings, right? And so that's, we, we all get stuck in price point logic that way too, because like how you and I both agree that $100 for leggings at face value sounds completely ridiculous. A lot of people would never even be able to consider going anywhere near $100 leggings and <laughs> other people wouldn't wear them to bed. So, so like no, knowing your audience for sure. And then also mm -hmm. like, once you have your audience, you're like, these leggings are going to change your life, man. They feel so good on your body and I they're guess. good for like all weathers. And, and then people are like, thank you for introducing me to these leggings. Like yes. <laughs> when you sell something and someone says, thank you, like it's an amazing feeling. And that's what it should wonderful be Wonderful like. feeling. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And I want people to combine it with the wonderful people or with the wonderful feeling of receiving 
from a wonderful person. We're so good at receiving the compliments. We're so good at receiving the thanks. Everybody, money is just another form of energy. Get good at that thank you. Get good at collecting that check because you've earned it. And you're taking a dollar out of a jerk's pocket. Yes. All right. That's a good stopping point for us. And so we've reached the end of yet another episode of sales is not a dirty word. This episode was about sales avoidance and the stigma behind sales and how to overcome it to sell more. Thanks again so much, Annie, for making an appearance as our guest today. This was awesome. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. And can you tell everyone how can they, they can find out more about you and how they can work with you? Heck yeah. Listen, y'all, if you are in full-blown sales avoidance, do not go to my website, which is AnniePRuggles.com. It's great. It's a carnival of education. But if you are in actual sales avoidance, meaning you have a conversation, a situation, or a presentation coming up that you do not know how to navigate, I want you to reach out to me directly as soon as you can. Uh, so I have the most time to turn around and help you. And the best two ways to do that are Instagram, where I'm at Anniepreneur, or LinkedIn, where you just search for my name. I would love to show you how beautiful selling can be by offering you a couple tweaks to get you through that thing. And also, if you'd love me in your ears every week, please do give a listen to my small business meets pop culture podcast, Too Legitimate to Quit. All right. This has been the sales is not a dirty word podcast, where we show you how to sell up to 80% of the people you talk to without pain, pitching, or pretending to be someone else. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time.